Hi everybody, it's Jen. Just a quick content warning. This book and this week's episode will contain discussion of uh, miscarriage. And I, we know that's like a really big, important topic for a lot of you, and we just wanted you to know that going in. We're gearing up for the Bridgertons by reading a non-Bridgerton book. <laughs> because that's how we roll, Sarah. I don't even, I'm not even sad about it. Here's the deal. Everybody and their mother is going to be reading the Bridgertons on their podcasts. We're changing it up here at Faded Mates. Here's the other thing that's great. I think it might also be then easier to get this book. My friend Sunhee just told me this morning that she was able to get this book from her library no problem, where getting the Bridgertons from libraries is is going to be tough this year, right? So we also, we're helping you out. It's also my favorite Julia Quinn book. And you know what? I had never read it before, so we are going to have lots to talk about. I'm so glad. Welcome to Faded Mates, everybody. I'm Jen Reads Romance. I don't know. I'm Jennifer Prokop. I have lots of different names, I guess. Who the, Jen, who the hell am I? Like, reads Romance. Jen, I'm Jen Reads Romance. I mean, name is Destiny. And I am a romance reader and critic. I'm Sarah McLean, and I write romance novels, and I read romance novels. And today, weirdly, we didn't read... We have... I mean, we've done... We're now in season three of Faded Mates, and we have not read a Julia Quinn novel yet. And so I'm actually really glad that we are doing it now. I think at some point, once the Bridgerton deal was announced, we were like, well, we'll just save it. I mean, I definitely became a a conversation where it's just like, well, we might as well wait. Yeah. So if you, unless you live under a romance rock. (laughs) A romance rock is always afraid to talk about their feelings. (laughs) (laughs) A romance rock, though, sits on you and says, says mine. (laughs) Says mine. (laughs) None of our listeners live under a romance rock. No. Um, So you all know that on December 25th, a scant days away from this episode, um, what, nine days from this episode launching, uh, Julia Quinn's juggernaut of a romance series, The Bridgertons, will become a Shonda Rhimes Netflix series. It's launching December 25th. There are already glorious pictures. Oh, yeah. And a great, fun trailer. Um, And we are all very excited. It is the thing that, you know, COVID delivered us on Christmas Day. That in Wonder Woman 1984, I'm right? not hanging around with a bunch of my family on Christmas Day. I mean, I'm hanging around with my, like... I'm going to hang around with the Bridgertons on Christmas Day. Exactly. So, like, this is the gift. The gift that we have been given uh, during 2020 is that on Christmas Day, we are getting Wonder Woman 1984. Yes. And, and Bridgertons. Bridgertons. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and it looks great. It, it looks... I, I will say it... The production values on this thing are through the roof. It looks I amazing. Mean, Shonda Rhimes. It's beautiful. Everyone is in beautiful. The costumes, just, it, it just looks astounding. The people yeah. are beautiful. Yes. Yes. I mean, really beautiful people. Yeah. Well, we deserve nice things. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Do we? <laughs> I feel that I deserve nice things. Maybe you don't. Naughty and nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait. Oh, speaking, speaking of naughty, naughty nice. did you read it yet? I, I did not read it yet, but I'm going to, I've been kind of like, oh, we're going to start recording anytime. So I haven't done it. But as soon as we're done, I'm going to roll out right to the 
whatever that is, the naughty list. What's it called? His naughty list? No, the naughty list. Santa fucks. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you guys. Apparently, okay. I'm in a okay, mood you guys. today. <laughs> Yesterday, on Instagram, uh, several I follow like a bunch of these like feminist book bloggers on Instagram. And yesterday on Instagram, they all exploded about this little novella that I think maybe just dropped yesterday. I don't know when it dropped, but it dropped recently. And it's called The Naughty List. And the cover is like a close-up of a what somebody on Twitter referred to as Daddy Santa. <laughs> yes, it really is. I was like, that's not what I was expecting like, at all. Extremely ripped, like... <laughs> He's wearing a red sweater, so you don't know he's ripped, but you kind of know he's ripped. Uh, Santa, and it's a close-up of his white beard, and it's the title is The Naughty List. And the tagline is, Santa comes more than once this year. (laughs) This piece of romance genius is from Ellie Mae McGregor. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It's on Kindle Unlimited. Bless. The tagline that she, the, the hashtag she's using is single and ready to jingle. Whatever jingles your bells, I got the sugar to help. We could dance around the hall. Whatever jingles your <laughs> Which, honest to God, it's just. Yeah. I mean, pure genius. Like, I have no regrets. So I instantly one-clicked this because it seemed cheeky and fun. Yeah. And it was really a delicious read. It was really fast. It's about 50 yeah. pages. I mean, it's not It's not even a novella. It's, like, very short. And um, I think she's referring to it as a novelette, which, you know, fine. Whatever. Sure. Whatever you want. Um, and the – I mean – it's really so the concept is Santa is a family affair, like Santa is a family business. <laughs> and this boy, boy, this man, he's a real man. Of course. This this young man, this sort of man in his late 30s, um, has inherited the family business. And so now he is Santa. And he's only been Santa for like five years. And there's a little bit of world building to explain <laughs> how time works on Christmas Eve. Like, she really put the, she did the job. She really, like, put the effort in. And this, the, the heroine is a 45-year-old. For those of you who are looking for older heroines, here she is. 45-year-old curvy heroine who's just gotten a divorce. And her children, surprisingly, like, two days ago, her ex-husband was like, I want to take the kids on a cruise. So she, they went off to this cruise, and she's, like, home alone on Christmas Eve, and she falls asleep on the couch, and the elves didn't get the news for the kids <laughs> going on a cruise to Santa in time. So he stops to drop the presents off for these kids, um, and he finds her asleep on the couch, and she's hot, and he's hot. And then they bone all over the house because of the world building time situation. And then they bone in his sleigh because obviously the promise of the premise. <laughs> I mean, obviously. I mean, obviously, that's and the case. And it's charming and funny. And it has this like great navigation of consent 
And it really, it was really, it's really, really fun. And I was thinking today about all the reasons why I love romance novels, because usually that's what I think about a lot. All the time. It's like, um, yes. But one of the things I think I love the best about romance, and I think it's something that often gets lost in like Twitter discourse, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Is, well, as you all know, I truly believe like the number one rule of romance is that it should be fun. Yes. But also I think... We lose sight often of the fact that, like, the joy of romance is often in us not taking ourselves too seriously. Yes, absolutely. Right? Like, when we start to take ourselves too seriously, the books get weighted down, the conversation around romance feels heavier and more weighted, and this is, like, this is a book that knows exactly what it is. It does not take itself too seriously. I mean, single and ready to jingle. <laughs> it's exactly like 2020 <laughs> Christmas deserves the Bridgertons on Netflix. Yes. And this Santa novella. I think that's delightful. I read a, I, I mean, we're not going to actually do any sort of holiday recommendations this year outside of these, right? Because we have other plans. I don't think so. So yeah. here's the time. So <laughs> I'm going to do... Shoot your shot, Jen. <laughs> I'm just doing a real quick one. I read a... Now, meanwhile, this was not. This one was, like, teeming with raw emotion. But I read Breath on Embers by Anne Calhoun. Mm. And... I like um, her a lot. Yeah, it's terrific. And Thea and Ronan are the um, main characters, and... Basically, her husband died two years ago, like, right after Thanksgiving. And they have been having, and, like, she moved to New York to just get away, and she um, meets Ronan. And they're basically just having, like, what is a casual affair. But he's like, it's more. And she's like, I don't think it's more. So to prove to her, (laughs) this is the part where it doesn't take itself too seriously. To prove to her that it's more, he's like, well, let's have a threesome with someone else. And then you'll realize that, like, when you're just with me, it's super (laughs) emotional. This is what fucking is. And I was like... Okay, I scientific method. I love it. I was like, I'm Here's... just spitballing here, but <laughs> but but I'm gonna tell you, just it was so uh, it was great. It is super hot. It's super sexy, and it's also pretty short. These Christmas novellas, we've talked about this before, but like holiday holiday romances are really teed up to be novella length because people don't have as much time. They don't have as much time to focus. Like, there's a lot. They're being pulled in 17 different directions. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so a novella is perfect. And I literally, yeah, I mean, like, I read mine in, like, 45 minutes, texted Jen and Kate and was like, and Kate was like, I support you. (laughs) Uh, I was like, Kate would love this one because it's, oh, my God, it's, like, all the emotions, but then two Ps and V, so whatever. Too many Ps. Too many Ps. Not for me. Plenty of Ps. Not for me either. I'm for it. Yeah. Okay. Let's get to it. So, so I said this right at the very top. Who knows if it's going to stay in because Eric likes to fuss around with the top. (laughs) That's what she said. I was totally like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, but we, so a lot of podcasts are tackling the Bridgertons right now, which makes perfect sense. It's a good time for it. Um, It's all Julia Quinn all the time here in Romancelandia. But, um... If you have, if you are looking for like deep dives on the Bridgertons and real discussions about the Bridgertons, head over to our friends at Learning the Tropes. Aaron and Clayton have been reading the whole Bridgerton series, mm-hmm. and they've got you. Whichever one is your favorite, I guessed it on the um, 
To Sir Philip with Love episode. And actually, I think we're probably going to talk a little bit about that book, too, because um, that is my favorite Bridgerton, and this is my favorite Julia Quinn, and I think there's a reason why I like it when Julia does this kind of a story. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so when Jen and I were talking... We were sort of like, okay, what will we do? Should we do our favorite Bridgertons? Jen, right. yours is Colin and Penelope, right? No, that is not my favorite. Oh, my is favorite is Anthony. An- yeah, the Mallet of Death is my favorite forever and ever, right? Which is <laughs> the Viscount who loved me, the the Viscount, yeah. the Viscount, the Viscount who loved the me. Viscount who loved me. It's called PSA. It's called. It's a Viscount. It's pronounced Viscount. It's also pronounced Marquis. Do I really need to know this to read these books? Apparently, you don't, but. I do know it. Um, my favorite is Anthony and Kate and the Viscount Who Love Me and the Mallet of Death is like one of, I still think, the greatest scenes in all of romance. It's hilarious. Just, it is hilarious, yes. So what Julia does well, empirically. Like Absolutely. Anybody, like there's this, a, this is sort of, there are certain things that are non-negotiable <laughs> in romance, right? right. Like right. what Julia is known for, and part of the reason why none of us were surprised that she was like one of the first big romance series to be optioned for TV is sparkling, beautiful dialogue between large groups of families. I mean- it's really, she just nails it. It's a gift, I would even, I mean, and I would say one of the things that's so great about it is the fact that she writes dialogue between, like, love interests, like, lands differently on the page than dialogue between, like, friends or sisters or family. I mean, she or- She just has an ear for yeah, it. Yeah, it, she absolutely does, and it is it is amazing. And the way, the actual, for writers listening, what- when you're actually reading a Julia Quinn novel, what's fascinating is the way she uses dialogue as action and plot. And, I mean, everything comes... There's so little exposition in a Julia Quinn novel. Like, yeah, there's so... She always sets the stage in a very sort of, like, fairy tale style. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that so much of the book is taken up with dialogue that you almost lose... Like, you you sort of, like, lose interest in anything that's not these people talking to each other. And it's amazing. So, um, why was I saying this, though? I was starting here for a reason. Oh, and then the other piece of it is, of course, the family. The This idea of, like, a big group of people who care about each other and love each other and tell each other the truth and, like, always love each other but are willing to, you know, call each other out on their bullshit and it just feels so authentic and real. And so we should just tease what next week's interstitial is. So yes. this this episode is coming out on the 16th of December, which means next Wednesday is uh the 23rd. Yeah. Um and because in advance of the Bridgerton release on the 25th, we're going to release a family romance interstitial. Right. Big families. Big families and romance. Um, Because we know that a lot of people are going to watch Bridgerton and go, what should I read after I read Bridgerton? Right. And we're going to give you a couple of read-alike families, like big, big series that that track families. You can probably guess some of them. And maybe some others you can't. So uh, do we want to do a plot? Sure. So let me do that. This was, uh, by the way, I had... This is my first time reading this book, which is unusual, I would say, for just for me on the podcast. We are often 
reading books I've read before or I read a long time ago. And so it's kind of an interesting thing to have a first read, right? Mm. Be be and my a first read of a book that's not new. Like this is a Right. But you know, I mean I think as you all know, what how many books, how many romances come out a year? <laughs> right. I know. It's like you can't keep up with all of them. What year did this come out actually? Do you know? Oh, you could look up. Yeah. Um Miranda Cheever is with hanging out with her best friend, Olivia, and it is Olivia's birthday. They are 11 or 12. I think they're 10. She's 10. I think the Olivia's turning 11. Oh, Olivia's turning 11. Okay. Yeah, something like that, Never right? Yeah. Doesn't matter. Close enough. Um, they are, um, and Miranda is, like, really aware of the fact that she is, like, kind of, like, not as pretty. She's a little gangly. 2007. Oh, yeah. These were the... We should say that. Okay. The reason that is important is because those for me were the dark years. My son was three or four, and those were years where I didn't read as much, right? Mm -hmm. Of course. Well, this was also, like, the beginning... Julia had finished up the Bridgertons at this point. And so, like, this was the big... This is always the big question, right? Yeah, what do you do next? I think we should go here first and then come back to the plot. Okay. Um, But this is always the big question when you write... A massive series like Bridgerton's. And the truth is, like, you know, this is arguably, like, one of the biggest series in romance. I mean, like, it's not arguably. Inarguably. Like, there are, you know, there's Black Dagger Brotherhood and Bridgerton's. And, you know, and that's, I mean, this is a juggernaut. Um, And so I imagine that when you come down off you know, Hyacinth's book, everything's done. It's all tied up because the Bridgertons, as you all likely know, um, is about a family of eight children and they are named um, in in alphabetical order. And so she did the books. And then like the last book was the youngest of the Bridgerton children. And then like, where do you go from here? And so this is one of the places Julia went. There are no Bridgertons in this book. Right. I would also say, and this is from the reader point of view, that I can only imagine that that must be a really terrifying precipice to stand on. I mean, I can't imagine what it must be like, knowing that you've written this, like, high, huge... You know, there's a great TED Talk that I'm not sure if I've ever talked about on the podcast, but we'll put it in show notes. Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love... Uh, back right around now, right about right around the mid the mid two thousands, um, she did a great TED talk that's basically about the muse, like and whether like what the muse means and how how the muse evolved, like to be a concept and the way art happens, and as part of it, she talks about the fact that um, eat, pray, love was such a juggernaut. And she says the words, it is entirely possible that my greatest work is behind me. Right? And, like, how do you move forward knowing that? Well, and I would imagine, I I can only imagine that that is even more pronounced when you are writing genre fiction. Right? Like, you and I both love romance with every molecule of our beings. But romance readers can also be a very exacting. Well, they want what they want. They want what they want. And if you write a series that's, I mean, three books is probably enough of a whoosh, but eight. And, you know, to have it be what it is, right? The dialogue, the family dynamics, the, there's a lot of, um, 
I mean, I haven't read the Bridgertons in so long. There's a lot of humor. There's a lot of, right? So to, how do you how do you come off of that, right? So yeah. it's like, am I supposed to do the same thing? And this book is very different in tone and mood. In, and it, it has the hallmarks of a Julia Quinn novel. It still has the dialogue and the family and a lot of the humor. Very but funny. It the feels, heroine is very funny. Yeah. But it's, this is, I cried at the end of this book. It was, it, this book is, and I don't really cry a lot. I'm so, so you know. glad to hear that. Oh, yeah. Like, that's really, really like, vindicated by you Oh, crying yeah. When I'm all like, I cried. Like, that's an A plus for me, right? If I cried. Even if the book itself is not perfect. Like, I am in romance for feelings. And this book really delivers. So. Love it. Yes. So, plot-wise, um, Miranda is at her, is 10. She's at her best friend's birthday party. Her best friend and neighbor Olivia and her twin brother having their 11th birthday. Miranda is very aware that she is like not beautiful and not sparkling. She's gangly. Like there's all these things about her. She's like not quite there. And um her father forgets to come pick her up cuz he's just like a absent, you know, he like I don't know translates things from greek or whatever is he's a scientist like a not a science an absent-minded yeah he's into fossils <laughs> he's he he is fossils um and anyway so uh olivia's older brother nigel lord turner um who's 19 is deputized to take her home and he says something to her, which, of course, as in this part I really loved, as in many yeah. things. Someone says something to you that it changes your life and they don't remember it. And he says, one day you're going to grow into who you are. Maybe you should, like, keep a journal and that way you'll be able to look at, back on this and, and smile and think, you know, that was silly and all these things mattered so much to me and they really didn't. And it's the end of the chapter and she's like, I've fallen in love. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, ten years later... He is, the next chapter opens with him standing at his wife's graveside, but he is not sad because she, not grieving. she cheated on him, made him a cuckold, and he is furious and angry and pledges to never marry again. Yeah. He has this plan to let Olivia's twin brother yeah. carry on the line. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't need to worry about it. He has... Right? The spare's right there. That you know. But there are so many things already to love about this, right? So um it's ten years later, so Miranda's only nineteen. So she's you know, but she's kind of a she's like kind of wallflowery. She's not as Olivia's like a sparkling diamond. Olivia's life of the party girl. And Miranda's quiet and the watcher, the one who like sees everything, but doesn't say as much. Um, and because her and her mother has just has died recently, and there's this wonderful moment. Talk about like beautiful friendships in romance. Yes. There's this wonderful moment where they talk about how after Miranda's mother died, Olivia wore mourning yes. clothes because she loved her too. Like this yeah. it, there's like a the best friend piece of this is so important in yeah. so many ways. Um, and one of the things that I, on the reread this time, I was thinking about is, and we'll talk about, you know, the rest of the plot as we move forward, um, was like, Olivia is is always present in the moments when Hyacinth, when, Hyacinth, when uh, Miranda <laughs> needs her, right? Like, 
She doesn't have a big family, but she has Olivia. And your friends are the family you choose. And in fact, like, we're so into this, their friendship being this close. And the, you know, vice versa is true, too. And also what I really loved is they never let each other down. No. Which I... And they're so loyal. Yes. They, and I, I really was won over by that, too. But um, that night, um, Miranda spends the night at their house and the night after the funeral. Right. And then we get a, a moment from, so even though Nigel's name is Nigel, he hates it and everyone calls him Turner. Um, Turner um, thinks, like, this should have been a night where just the family was here, but why is Miranda here? Like, he doesn't quite feel that same way about her. Because he's so much older. Whereas to the rest of them, it's like, well, having Miranda there is no big deal. Of course Miranda's going to be here. I love that. I love that their fan like, his mom is always like... What? Like, nobody, like, go in the carriage together. What do you, what's wrong with you? Like, you're basically brother and sister. <laughs> I mean, the number of times that they get told, like, basically, you're brother and sister. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we're so hot for each other. <laughs> so, anyway, so that night, of course, uh, Miranda goes, I don't know, what is she going to the kitchen, going to get, I don't know what she's doing. She's going somewhere in the house. Yeah, and right. He's sure. Drunk and pissed off. Yeah. And, like, I think what's really interesting here, so as a writer, I get asked a lot about, you know, am I ever going to write an insert character name, right? And one of the big ones is Benedict from Nine Rules to Break When Romancing Rate, Callie's brother. And I always say, like, oh, Benedict is too nice. Like, he's too good a guy to be a McLean hero. Yeah. Um, And I think what's really interesting here is um, this is a good example of a prologue that does a lot of heavy lifting, Because we see Miranda fall in love, in love, you know, air quotes, (laughs) with Turner, um, with, like, wonderful, kind, generous, sweet, handsome Turner. Mm -hmm. And then the next look we get at him is just, like, him destroyed by by this marriage, by a deeply unhealthy marriage. Um, his own misery, his anger, his guilt about, you know, how he's failed his family and, you know, himself. And Miranda still kind of starry-eyed. Like, she's been, right, you know, in that way that we, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but, but when I, I mean, I feel like when I was 19, there were definitely, like, half a dozen boys who, like, I you know, thought about all the time, all the time was in love with, you know, and had, and had, and like could easily have convinced myself like one day it'll come back around and I'll have that chance, which is a real promise of romance novels. Any small town series has the girl comes home and marries the boy who snubbed her at prom, right? Or the boy she fell in love with and like who was too, you know, the captain of the football team who, you know, she who had a different girlfriend. But I, I also think that a big part of the reason that this stays so present for her is because it's also in her, a, her like, found family, right? Yeah, he's there. He's there enough that the there's, like, a constant burn under that fire, Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. He's a it's not just too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so it should be said, Olivia has a twin brother, and Olivia announces to her, and Olivia is... Uh, is great. Does Olivia get her own book? She is great. Uh, she should. She's terrific. Olivia yeah. is really great and is basically like, 
I have an idea. <laughs> right. We love each other so much. We, you should marry Winston. Winston. Right. And then you'll be my sister and you'll be married and you're both the same age. And isn't that great? <laughs> and poor Miranda has kept one secret from Olivia her whole life. That's it. Yes. Just one. There's only yes. one. There's one secret between them. And it's, I'm in love with your older brother, Turner. Here's the part. This this night where they, she finds him in the library, he is genuinely awful to her. Terrible. In, in a way that I... This is the prologue doing the work, right? Well, it's it, this is chapter no, one. No, but I I'm think. saying, and then when yes. you get to chapter one, the only reason why you forgive him for his behavior with her is because you saw the prologue. Absolutely, he um, he's drunk and he like kisses her, and Miranda, even though she has never been kissed before, realizes that something is terribly wrong here, that he doesn't really want her or like her. It's not about her. And it is such a, like a, and it's really, I will say, the moment, too, where I was like, this is not the Julia Quinn of the Bridgertons. No. This is, I'm this I'm sure was probably, I can only imagine, a very hard scene for her to write. And probably for some of her super fans, kind of a hard scene to read. Even for me, I was like, not super invested, but I was like, whoa. He's a rough hero. Yes. And yeah. a ship that needs to be turned around. And not in the way that like. Right. He's not really a beta. He's no. like, there's something like, and I mean that, I mean, like, I hate, you know, we've you talked know, about right, how sure. I hate all of this. But I think Julia Quinn, like, one of the things that when you talk about the Bridgertons, you have to acknowledge is that Julia Quinn sort of popularized this kind of cinnamon rolly, like, yeah. beta hero. Who good guy, is right? a decent person from the jump, right? Like, all of Julia's heroes in the Bridgertons are decent people. Turner's not decent. No. And he's, he's been wounded, decent for right? a while. Yeah, there's this, right? Hurt people, hurt people. Like, I mean, that's maybe Turner, this is right? why I love this book the of most. Of course well, it is. Because I'm like, course. oh. He is a wrecking <laughs> oh, ball, right? He's a broken hero. <laughs> he is broken. And you know what, though? The thing I think that's really interesting about him is I feel like so many broken heroes don't even know that they're broken, but Turner is very aware that he is broken. Because he has this perfect family. Yes. Like, Yes. He knows his family loves him. Mm-hmm. He knows, like, Miranda is, like, even as they get, as the book progresses and Miranda and he become closer and, like, they become more friendly because it does take some time. Like, right. he kisses her that first night, but then it's sort of like, they're both kind of like, ugh, yeah. no. Right, like, that and didn't then count, yeah. It doesn't count. We're not going to discuss it. And so then there's, like, of course, a country house party and, of course, like, mm-hmm. a ball and, of course, like, all the things, like, all the right. hallmarks – Everything every Regency reader loves is packed into this book. Yes. And it's like the no one's going to waltz with her because nobody wants to waltz with her. So he signs himself onto her dance card for two waltzes, right? And so, like, they're able to talk during that time. And, like, he's a constant rescuer in that way that um, it's like in Emma when um, Harriet Smith is – do you know Emma? Not you know really. me and Jane Austen. I know, you Jane. don't, I, yeah. But there's this great, for those of you listening who do know Austen and Emma, Emma's my favorite Austen novel. And there's, and Harriet Smith is this sort of secondary character who, um, over the course of the book, she's sort of like Emma's less than friend. She's like not mm-hmm. as pretty, not as rich, yeah. not as titled. And over the course of the book, there's like this, this discussion of like who Harriet should end up with 
and who's saving her. And it turns out, like, Emma and over the course of it, like, Emma and Mr. Knightley are falling in love. But, like, Knightley's just a decent guy who then starts saving her in these other situations like, like, dancing with her at a ball or, you know, whatever, protecting her in a, you know, awkward situation. And that's what Turner starts to do is, like, he becomes that kind of, like, fully-fledged protector. And then she starts to fall in love with him for real. I really did find myself thinking that at the beginning that this, in a lot of ways, is a real romance reader's romance. Yeah, it's so full of, like, the tropes and the gifts and the, yeah. Like, there were things I read that I was like, this is so highly coded that if I gave this to a, like, like, so my, often my, like, new romance reader friend is, like, my friend Ernie. Like, we mostly read Reacher together now. It's kind of over. But I thought, if I gave this to Ernie, he'd be like, what the fuck is going on here? Because all, it is so coded to, like, the kind of experience that you get when you've read a bunch of romances. Yeah. All, and they're all so perfectly done. But there, in particular, was, like, a line at the beginning about, like, sort of the, I, I'm going to have to talk for a minute and I'll find it but it was like this one line where I was like this is such a romance thing yeah right well, and as you say perfectly done right because there's for example there's the moment so there are two balls in this book and I think they're so interesting because in the first ball it's early enough in the book it's like post kiss but Turner's apologized and like mm-hmm. and he kind of says also I like that he names it as like assault in that yes. first it's yes. not I mean, I want to sort of, like, trigger warning this in a sense, but, like, it's not it's not assault in, like, a horrifying way. It's just, like, he kisses her, and it's just bad. It wasn't welcome, and— Yeah, and he recognizes it's not welcome, and sort of they move on, and he names it, and she forgives him, and then, like— and then he sort of has to do a little work to fix it, to, like, mm-hmm. to reset their relationship, and then there's this ball— where he dances, he puts her, himself on her dance card to protect her from basically not not waltzing. And then the book progresses and progresses and progresses, and then they, like, you know, it starts to feel like they're really, like, she tells, and then she basically tells him that she loves him. And it's hard, yeah. like, it's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. Because she's like, I love you, and he just... McCreeve brains himself. <laughs> well, because it's really out of nowhere for him. There's not even, I mean, I, here's the other thing I would say is, I said at the beginning that I cried when I read this book. Like, the emotion in this book is so raw. Yeah. I mean, really stripped bare. Yes. I mean, oh, I talked about this on the Learning the Tropes podcast, but I really love To Sir Philip with Love, which is the only Bridgerton novel where that character, the Bridgerton character leaves London, mm. right? So in that book, Eloise, one of the Bridgertons, she actually takes herself out of London to the countryside, basically to marry a man she's never met. Mm-hmm. And so she's moved away from the Bridgerton. So the shift for Julia Quinn as a writer is like, how do I write a Bridgerton book without, without Bridgertons? The Bridgertons yeah. Right. And I think she backs herself as a writer into like a really magnificent corner. And then as for me, as both a reader and a writer, watching her kind of like work her way out of it is me what is like watching, you know, as we've talked about Cressley, like watching somebody right. learn how to drive a stick in a Ferrari. Like, right. you know, you kind of like 
you can see the the work she's doing and she's just leveling up as a writer. I feel that way about this book too, is like she's leveling up as a writer in this book, not because the Bridgers, I mean, there's no leveling up necessary, but like she's right. trying a thing that is completely yeah. new for her. Right. And what I think is, so, but let me just finish on the ball front because as you were talking about like, you know, real romance readers, romance. So the second time around, he she's, like, professed her love in this, like, awkward, horrifying way that, like, mm-hmm. feels... Where, again, you're sort of exploring, going as Jen said, like, these, like, really intense emotions that kind of rip your heart out as a reader yes. because you just feel bad for her because he can't respond. He's so alpha He's and, like, so packed frozen away in, that in way, his emotions. Yeah. And so... And he refuses to feel feelings. Yeah. And so then there's a second ball, and he has sort of promised that he would go to this ball because she, Mm -hmm. again, is sort of like, no one's going to want to dance with me. And he's like, I will dance the waltz with you, right? Right. And they get to this ball, and he they've been, like, separated. Now, she basically is, like, living in his house. She's there sure. all the time. She's, like, that friend that you had growing up who slept over your house every weekend. Like, well, so much so that he decamps to a separate apartment. Yeah. Right? Like, he they buys have another, an apartment. another library interlude, and he flees, right? It's yeah. really interesting the way that these scenes, like, also echo and repeat. Yeah. I mean, and so he leaves. And so she hasn't seen him. They get to the ball, and he's – she can see him – deliberately attempting to steer clear of her. Like, he yeah. is, wherever she is, he is as far away from her as possible. And he's she's watching him talk to a series of kind of powerful men. Yeah. In the tone. And then, suddenly, all these men come and approach her and ask her to dance. And it is, it is one of those moments where if you are not a romance reader... Right. You're like, oh, this is just nice. Like, here are a bunch of weirdos asking her to dance. And the second it happens as a romance reader, you're like, my heart has been scooped out of my chest yes. and dumped on the ground. Yes. This poor, poor woman. Yes. Because and she, then oh, it's so good. She leaves to, like, collect herself because she's so horrified and embarrassed and, like, yeah. oh, it's terrible. And then he comes out with a woman. Yes. Into the gardens. He's intending to, you know, find himself a mistress. He's going to take care of her and get some men to dance with her. And we know that the mistress, who looks like Miranda, is supposed to be a placeholder. Derek Craven. Sure, of course. And uh, the prostitute, right? Who looks like Sarah. But, (sighs) Turner, you dummy. I know. God, so dumb. (laughs) So fucking dumb. I mean, his dumbness is so epic. Like, I love him. Um, Here's the other thing that I think is really interesting about this scene is one of the things that has always, like, fascinated me is in many romances, there we see young women becoming ascendant in society as they become, like, ascendant or become themselves. So their their acceptance by society is essentially a mirror of their own inner acceptance, right? And this book is playing it completely differently, right? Here she is, a duke's going to dance with her, all these handsome men, everyone's like, ooh, what's up with Miranda? They see her as being ascendant in this moment when she knows it is a moment instead of her greatest humiliation. And that, like, sort of mask that that she has to wear at this ball and the way that that feels and that even though here it is, like, this triumph for her has been arranged by someone else and she is like, no, it's not. 
And I thought that was also just such a brilliant move on Julia Quinn's yeah, part because it so, is so incisive. Right? Not often often it is the opposite, right? Ascendancy in society is like is a reward essentially for like being yourself and like getting what you want and now you're going to get this other thing too. Yeah. And here it's just this wan imitation of what she really wants. Oh. It's really good. Then they go to a country house party because romance novel, Regency. And they go they go off to this party also because, look, Julia Quinn's skill is in, as we said at the beginning, large groups of people talking beautifully yeah. and hanging out and being amazing together. Right. As somebody who also writes romance novels, I will tell you that large groups of people talking and being amazing together is really fucking hard to do. She's so good at it. Yeah. Julia is comfortable. Like her, her like zero state, her like natural state <laughs> as a writer is 17 characters in a room. Yeah, and like, which is wild. That is, I am telling you right now, like you just have to trust me <laughs> as a writer. This is not easy. Like, this is this is the kind of scene that in in my books, first of all, I've ne- I would never. And second of all, because that's insane. I'm not writing that. Yeah. And like, and it's too hard to do. But in a book, say, written by me with that many characters, you end up losing a thread, dropping a character, confusing characters. Like, it becomes too complicated. For me, like, it's five is tops for me. Like, and that is, that is a high-functioning like <laughs> that's a day good day for, for you, me, right? <laughs> so anyway, but that said, so she takes us all to a country house, and I mean, I've only written—I think I've only written one country house party because there are too many characters in a, yeah, in a house party. Right. But of course, if you don't write a house party, then you don't get to send your people to the hunting lodge in the rain. <laughs> you, you, you do not. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's uh, yeah. It's this great scene. Like they're gonna, you know, there's all these like. House party games, which having just watched a recent episode of The Crown, apparently this is something very rich people like to sit around and do. Who knew? And um, they get matched together. Well, actually, they don't. Olivia gets matched with her brother. And she's like, oh, that's terrible. Well, you just have to take him so I can be with this cute guy you're with, which actually doesn't make Olivia. It makes her sound terrible, but it's not. Like, Miranda's like, okay, sounds good to me, too. And they're doing it's like hide and seek. They end up in this hunting lodge. They get well. It's very um, when Harry met Sally. It's very like oh, I've been looking for a red suede pump. What do you think of Jess? Well, uh, do you think you could go out with him? I don't know, because uh, I feel really comfortable with him. Exactly, and you know when they get caught in the rain, it's very cold, Sarah. It's so, it's always so cold in the rain. <laughs> Very cold. Here's, here's something that Clearly, is true only in Romancelandia. It doesn't yeah. matter what month of the year, but if you get caught in the rain, you are going to have to light a fire or you are going to catch a chill. You have to cl- clearly take off all your clothes. <laughs> you do remove all, also, you don't just get caught in the rain. No. You get caught in like a torrential monsoon style <laughs> downpour. Only is gonna last long enough for you to build a fire and fuck, and then you gotta. It go. is irrelevant that in the Regency everyone is wearing seventeen layers of clothing. They are soaked to the bone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even mad about it. Oh, 
Me neither. Like, I'm sorry. Anybody who comes for the logic of we yeah. have to take off our, all of our clothes because no. we got caught in a sprinkle Listen. is absolutely not trying hard enough. He <laughs> puts on, like, a blanket around his waist and sort of in, like thinks it's kind of like a kilt. And yeah, I was like, like, oh, it looks like a kilt. Is. <laughs> Sir, thank you for that little gift from us. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. And it's, then what else are you to do when you are both naked and cold? Well, you're going to... I you're mean, gonna, you got to warm up. You got to divest her of her virginity it's like is what you got to do. like in The Saint <laughs> where Val Kilmer drops into the icy Russian river and then Elizabeth Shue takes off all her clothes. Okay. We're going to... We're going to have to do this before your body temperature falls below 95 degrees. To warm him up in that apartment building where the old lady is calling the mafia on them. Obviously. Obviously. (laughs) You know what is amazing about this scene, though, is... So this is also... I mean, this book... Oh, okay. So they, they... And it's great. It's like the greatest sex ever, right? And she essentially kind of blurts out to him, like, are you going to marry me? And he's like, well, of course. If it turns out that there's a a baby, we'll do it a little bit faster, but don't you worry about a thing. And then this motherfucker takes off. Um, I gotta say, don't worry, puss. Fuck you, Turner. It is 1819. And you better marry this girl. (laughs) Listen to me, Sarah. If I did not have to read this for the recording that happened today, this motherfucker would still be in cold storage. Cold storage! Like, go back out into the rain and get cold and sit. better fucking break. (laughs) I have never been as, like, this, I mean, yeah. And so he, you know, he says, I just need some time to think. It's a no from me, Turner. (laughs) She thinks, okay, you need a day or two. And he goes back to London. Ugh. And then and he, he goes out, in- like, ca- tomcatting around in Kent with his friends. He disappears for weeks. Nope. Cold storage. And Miranda very quickly realizes that she is pregnant. Oops. And there's this great line. Like, she was a country girl. She knew what this meant. I love it. And I love, and you know what's amazing? And, she, you know, Olivia happens to be there. Olivia kind of figures it out, too. They And they, these two... Young women kind of were like, what are we going to fucking do? And there's this Wait, amazing... Wait, pause. Yeah. Literally, Olivia says that thing. She says, yes. what are we, we going yeah. to do? Like, yeah. and I got teary that on that reread this time. Because, like... Yeah. Yeah. That is how... Look, I mean... Yes. I think many, many of us have been in a position where one of our dear friends has been in that position. Yes. And... You 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 have two kinds of friends in that position. You have the friend yeah. who's like, "Well, that sounds terrible. I don't know what you're Good gonna luck. do." Yeah, and the friend who's like, "Where? What are we doing? Where do you need to go? What are we yes. gonna do?" It is it, honestly we're, it's, amazing. We're in it together. Yeah, and you know what's amazing? What is amazing to me though is what they decide to do is go to Scotland. We're gonna take I mean, Miranda up to Scotland. It's just good sense. Sure. Olivia's like, "This is gonna be a fucking scandal. We're going to your grandparents. They seem nice." <laughs> yeah. I was kind of like, well, why can't they stay with her dummy father who never no, seems to pay attention? she'll be seen. Yeah. So they have to go. So they go to Scotland. And and it's a, and her mother, and this part I will also say, her. so Miranda's mother in between when she was 10 and, and 20 died at some point. 
And the specter of her mother's sort of being gone, we realize is really softened by the fact that she has Olivia and Olivia's mother in her life. But it is at this moment where she starts thinking about her mom. And and she goes, I'm, these, I'm assuming these are her mother's parents, right? It's her mother's mm-hmm, parents mm-hmm. in Scotland. And she is able to tell them, like, why she's there. And it's interesting, too. These scenes are are not told as they're happening. It's mm-hmm. sort of they're told They're after not on the page. No. The, the grandparents. Right. Which is right. a really smart move. It is a really smart because move. Because this is the other thing that Julia's doing as a writer. Again, like, kind of in a way that I... I have, I mean, I haven't reread all the Bridgerton books, but I have reread some of the Bridgerton books mm-hmm. and the earlier books recently. And like, but she, again, talking about just sort of like really expanding herself as a writer. For somebody who loves giant groups of yeah. people, she really tightens the reins yes, here. Yes, now and like, it's She's right. like, it's Olivia and Miranda against the world. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, and then the the ship that has to turn is letting Turner in. Yes. Right? Yeah. And that's really, it's really beautifully done. And I think, I think it is, it is one of those things that like you notice if you notice it, but then yeah. once you've noticed it, it's like, oh, she is really doing the job here. Yes. It's fascinating the way this plays out. So th- this point, so then, we then we then shift back to London to right? Turner, who's to come Turner. home. Turner's like, "Hey, I'm back. I really do like that Miranda person." Yeah, I guess it's time. I better go take care well, of that. Well, and like he comes back, kind of. Here's the secret baby trick, right? Like because the rule in secret, the, the issue with secret babies in romance is that if you don't have. Um, it, the hero can't come back because there's a baby. Right. He has to decide he is coming back. Right. And then, surprise, there's a baby. Right? Right. right. And so Turner, Julia Quinn, follows this rule. Turner comes back and he's like, I really like that Miranda. I think it's time. I'm going to find time her. for me to, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of this done. little loose end I have. We'll tie this in. knot. And he shows up at the house and is like, where's Miss Miranda and Miss Olivia? And the, the you know, the butler's like, they're not here. They're in fucking Scotland, dude. Where have you been? Yeah. And he loses his shit. And meanwhile. <laughs> Which is amazing. It is amazing. Well, and, this is his right? alpha moment, right? Where he's yes. like, oh, I'm feeling feelings. I'm feeling oh, him. I better go yell at my sister who has just recently come back, right? So, I mean, this is the other thing, right? We get. Who the fuck knows how long it takes to get from wherever they were to Scotland. And then, you know, Olivia turns around and comes back home. And, right, it's six or eight weeks later since, you know, the night in the the hunting lodge. And it's it's really, there's a lot of really interesting ways that time is advancing here, right? Because we don't get lots of scenes of Miranda. Like, we get nothing of Miranda. No, she's very closed off. And I want to talk about that. Yeah. Because she's closed off. So then... So Turner gets decides he's going to go get her, right? Well, well Olivia tells he, him. Olivia tells him. Olivia. Well, Olivia doesn't tell him. Refuses to tell him, and then figures out. And she's that like, "It was you, right? Is You're the, one the one who did this? Who she's got pregnant. her pregnant and yeah. sent her? Basically, like ignored her. I mean, ugh, the worst, the worst. And then he's like, "What do you mean she's pregnant? And then in his head, he's like, "She's been alone for all this time. Yeah, like." Fuck off, Turner. Like, yeah. And then we switch to Scotland. 
Yes. Where we discover that Miranda has lost the baby. And it's interesting because I remember this scene being bigger than it is. It's so it's quiet. It's, it's like a rosebud. It's so just tight. It's so and it yeah. and it gives you that sense of like this is why Miranda is alone. Yeah. This is why nobody else is on the page. Yeah. This like there's something so perfect about the writing of it that I yeah. can imagine some readers feeling like, why wasn't there more? Like, yeah. why wasn't this a bigger thing made of this? Why wasn't? And I think like it's the first time, certainly for me, when I re- like when I think about books that include a miscarriage, right? right. I this is always the first book that I think of, mm-hmm. right? And I think about how delicately she tackles this particular lens of losing a child Um, in a way that, like, it feels really honest Mm -hmm. and authentic and sort of special and, like, unique to a particular person. Yeah. Instead of... How we all perceive women should respond to such Well, a and that was, I wrote about miscarriage once, and I was like, every romance that tackles miscarriage is showing just how vastly different an experience it can be. I mean, I've written, it's not, it's not a spoiler, I've written a miscarriage in the first chapter of a book. And, like, it's a different kind of, like, my miscarriage is a very different kind of miscarriage than this one. So Miranda then thinks at some point, like, essentially to herself, like, when her mother died, her mother essentially was like, there's things I have to tell you and you're too young, but I lost these babies. This happened to me and it might happen to you. Maybe this is the way it works in our family. And the way I dealt with this is by just thinking, like, that they were not, that these children weren't meant to be. And you, I had this moment, I mean, this is, like, where the crying began for me, right? To think, like... Imagine, like, being on your deathbed and calling your teenage daughter in and saying, this is, like, womanly knowledge. I have to pass this on to you. Mm -hmm. I mean. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I think that that for me, that's a really powerful – I think that is such an – I think that is such an authentic way of looking at losing – at loss, like, uh, you know, pregnancy loss. Um. You know, when I wrote mine, I I wrote it in a different way, right? Like, I wrote a different experience, which included, you know, um, the mourning of that child, like, as being an authentic, like, that child living, like, sort of having a, having a, a family sort of remembering that child, right? And I think that they are both, inc- I think that's the value of so many, we've talked about this before, but, like, the value of especially romance novels, tackling this issue is so powerful. Um, and I know that it's a trigger for a lot of readers. And um, and I'm, I don't know how to, how to tackle that except to trigger a warn. Sure. But I mean, I would just say, like, as a matter of course, these, I mean, because, you know, it was, I think it happened on Twitter when um, Christy Teigen announced that she'd had, oh, no, it was Meghan Markle. Right. Announced a miscarriage. And a lot of people are like, why don't we ever talk about this? And I was like, well, I'm just going to say as a matter of course, if you would like to hear about women and miscarriage, 
it happens in romance a lot. Yeah. Right? This is a place that puts it on the page and puts it on the page in lots and lots of different ways. And I I, I thought it was her thinking about her mother telling her that. It just really moved me. It did. Yeah. I also like, and we've talked about this before, I like that the that that the miscarriage was very much Miranda's. Yes. Like it wasn't yes. made to be Turner's. Like when right. she tells Turner, yeah, he's like, it, first of all, I like that it comes, you know, seventh in the reasons why they shouldn't get married. Like, right. and then I like that when it happens, he's like, none of this changes anything. I want you right. Like there's, it's, it feels so, and it's so like, this, he wipes past it, which yes. again is sort of a choice, right? Like I can see how you know that might not work for everybody, but I can I I admire the choice to say this was Miranda's experience, lived yes. experience. Yes. Turner doesn't get that. He wasn't there. Right. He wasn't there. He um, wasn't there. He wasn't there. And yeah. so then we have this kind of like, then they, you know, get back together and then they get married. And then she gets pregnant right away. And then we have this sort of like fast track, like a montage. Well, and it's her diaries, right? Like this happened, this happened, this happened. And we go from, you know, late, late fall, like October, November to it's April and she's due in two months. And then like we pick up again. Yeah. And I think there's so many things at this point, like a big you a rom- again, romance readers realize like the the thing that needs to happen is he has to say I love you, right? Classic romance, classic. Right. This romance. is a hero who like right. He, his simple thing is that he refuse he cannot yes. say he loves her, right? But he can say like he speaks to like her in, her increasing you know belly yeah. that he he tells his baby that he loves it, right? But he like can't say it to her, yeah. And then, I mean. This is my, like, pure, pure crack, like, romance (laughs) drug. Put it in my veins. Oh, yeah. She has the baby. It's a girl. And then she starts to bleed. And something has gone wrong. Well, and it is interesting because that, that scene where she's in labor for 24 hours, that does become his. Right? There's not a whole lot. I love that, though. Don't oh, yeah, me that? too. Rom- you suffer. Eloisa James does this, too. Yeah. And wait, who are the... Uh, and Lisa Kleypas. A lot of the really big... The the biggest, best childbirth scenes in romance are told from the point of view of... A very anxious man in the hallway. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right? Wait, right? what's the famous one? Is it the Mallory's or the, the like there's a really, really famous one where it's a bunch of the like former heroes all sitting around in a like God, what in is a that? sitting room and they're like, I waited perfect I went to my club the night there and of course that none of them did. They were all like panicked I the night. I can't remember, but this but is you know what really, I'm talking yes, about. It is we'll it's think a of really it. It, oh it might it's the Sinsters, I think. Anyway, we'll find it. Somebody will tell us. But like there's there but that's the I mean, the money is when he's hearing her just swear inside oh, yeah. the room. Right, absolutely. Thinking this can't be right. This can't be right. Well, and they've already had a bit of a falling out beforehand, right? So this is also right, his regrets right now are so powerful, not only because, oh my God, what if I lose her? But but I was a fool and of course I'm in love with her. 
And again, I think the payoff here, and, you know, we're not one to, like, I mean, we we routinely talk about the ending, but there's this part where she says to him, you only figured out you loved me when you thought I was going to die. And when I had this baby, like, you're dummy, and I don't like that. And he says, I swear to God, the most perfect thing I've ever read in a fucking romance, and that is saying something. He said, when I looked at the baby and I knew I loved her. It's because it was a part, it wasn't because it was a part of me. It was because it was a part of you. And Sarah, I, f- I know. I cried in my bed. I know. It's really good. It's really good. I mean, like, what this book does is it takes all the delight and sparkle of the Bridgertons and it, yeah. like, smacks it in the face with, like, the <laughs> baseball bat of emotion. And you're like, oh, oh my God. It like, is supercharged so emotion. Yes, it really is. It's it really, really is. like, heightened and beautiful. And if it is, if you have not read The Secret Diaries of Miss Miranda Cheever, I hmm. promise you it is if not the same, if not as good as the Bridgertons, it is better than the Bridgertons, in my opinion. I just adore it. I adore it. And I have a lot of love for a lot of Julia's books. A, a lot. I really love her, the duology that she wrote um, with the Lost Duke of Wyndham books. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, because I think Julia, I, I see a lot of I admire her her writing chops so much mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I see in in a lot of her books like her saying I'm going to try this new thing right I'm going to try I'm, and I think that's I think it's taking the finger right like yeah because she could things. easily have just been like I'm going to write a new family of seven right. children right exactly you know? yeah and she didn't she there she has. The work that she has done since the Bridgertons, um, there are some books in there that I just think are truly some masterpieces of romance. And this is yeah. one a thousand percent on that list for me. This is also, I mean, I would say, and I mean, I think it's clear from from our talk, like she's an amazing heroine. This is such a, she's such a great character and she's so centered and she like it, you know, even though she's kind of alone and by herself, she's such a strong part of the family. She knows who she is, but there's also a part where she's like young and delightful. There's this whole part where she's really pissed. She goes into a bookstore for gentlemen only and he won't serve her and she goes back and like picks a fight with the guy. And I was like, what is going on? And then I was like, she's 20. (laughs) Right. Well, there's also a part where she punches Turner in the face. Yes. I mean, it's terrific miranda is a terrific terrific character and i really really loved reading it i did yay i'm so glad um everyone it is the holiday season and we love you here at faded mates um take good care of each other and if you are still looking for uh, stuff to do over the holidays, you can visit our website at fatedmates.net and see all of our past episodes, um, links to all the books that we have talked about, uh, links to the book pack at mm-hmm. um, at Old Town Books, which you can't get before Christmas Day, but you can get quickly in the new year if you order it now. Um, that has seven of our best of 2020 books in it. Uh, next week, we have an interstitial, like we said, on family romances. And then there will be some other fun stuff kind of yeah. dropping over the course of the next couple of weeks. And uh, we ha- have we decided what we're reading next? No. 
No, I don't think so. so. I think we're going to have tuned. a couple of, uh, yeah, I think we'll like let you know on Twitter, but we have a couple of, um, uh, like uh, we have an AMA that we recorded live. We have, we have a couple things happening that we'll just let you know. Yeah. Um, but other than that, you can find us on Twitter at Faded Mates. You can find us on Instagram at Faded Mates Pod. Uh, we're produced by Eric Mortensen and we love you.